Hello and welcome to Talkie Talk, podcast for the media by us. My name's Brent. I'm here today with Chris. Hello. And TJ. Hi. <laughs> and that was Talkie Talk. talk. <laughs> I forgot what I was doing. We're going to be talking today about things we've been watching and then we're going to follow that up with uh, a little news recap. And uh, finally, we're going to finish off each other with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with some uh, talk about what we're gonna go see at the movie theater in the near game. future, yeah, yeah. I'll jump in because I've got uh, one movie that I know was watched by one of y'all, and then uh, one TV show that I don't think either one of y'all have seen. I make the decisions on the order we go. We will start with TJ. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll talk about the TV show first because it's getting a lot of buzz on Netflix, um, and it was fantastic. I highly recommend it. Uh, but I watched Maniac. It's really, really good. It's, uh, I can't remember the guy's name right now. I should look that up. The director, of, he directed season one of True Detective. Kerry Fukunaga? Yes. Something? He, Fukunaga? Something. He wrote uh, some of the screenplay for it. He was the early director choice for it. Um, but Maniac's great. It's Emma Stone, Jonah Hill. Third build is probably Justin Theroux and a fantastic performance. Um, Two strangers connect over a pharmaceutical drug trial if I'm not mistaken that's the plot of the the, the most basic yes plot. the most basic plot um, really cool like what they do with alternate realities amazing world build, building mm-hmm. um, so there's like it's a set current day most things are normal but there are just little differences like you can pay for stuff with something called ad buddy and it's just like uh, Chris works for ad buddy he comes and reads advertisements to me for like 30 minutes. So you can like do it on the train and make a few bucks. Hmm. Um, there's like fake friend services where they'll pay actors to come and like you give them a backstory and they'll go to the museum with you and like they're your best friend or whatever. Hmm. Um, so it's just kind of, uh, you know, looking down on technology a little bit. Sort of Black Mirror-ish. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. But uh, the best I've seen Jonah Hill in anything... He was fantastic, and Emma Stone, obviously, was great. It was really fun seeing those two 11 years after Superbad. <laughs> I actually forgot. Yeah, I did, too, until the last that episode. Connection. Um, but it's really, really good. Uh, Justin Theroux is great. Sally Field is great. Hmm. Um, there's one other actress. Brent, did you not see it? No, Ashley watched it. Okay. But I did not. But... We've, we were both big fans. I forgot that, that most people aren't like Kelly and I where they have to watch everything together. We can only really pick one thing at a time to like save for each other to watch. Uh, Sonoya Mizuno is like Justin Theroux's scientist assistant. Yeah. Um, y'all know that name? No. No. She was the uh, Asian robot next Machina. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. She's done. She's in Crazy Rich Asians. She's like the lead. Okay. Um, she was in Annihilation. She was the, the Asian girl in Annihilation. Okay. Um, so she's kind of coming she's up good. and picking good roles. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend Maniac, though. It's 10 episodes. They range from 40 to 50 minutes. It's a quick watch. And they're very, uh, I use this term a lot, but they're very, like, vignette, standalone episodes. Like, here's a thing that happens in this episode. It's condensed. Yeah. But it's pretty much, uh, the drug trial is something that cures uh, depression. So there's like different pills you take that make you like relive whatever you're depressed about and then like pills that make you confront it and 
it's just it's really good, and the way they go into these dream states of dealing with those things is really really well done. There's like a I don't want to it's not a spoiler, but it's just so much fun when you don't see it coming. So those alternate realities are really good. Uh, it's just it's a really really fun watch, right up our alley. I want to say cool, so definitely recommend Maniac. Good to know. Watched a few movies, only going to talk about one that was particularly awful. I know Chris checked it out too, but I yeah. finally called A Wrinkle in Time, which is hit Netflix yeah. last week. It was really bad. Dude, it's 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 awful. Uh, I didn't ever read the book, so I don't have that going into it. I don't know if that helps. I read it a few times, all before I was like 15. Yeah. I read the book uh, a couple years ago, actually. Book's cool. It was alright. It's a kid. I mean, it's for kids. It's one of those books that I thought I loved when I was a kid, and then I reread it, and I thought, I was like, I don't really remember this at all. <laughs> I think maybe I was thinking of The Phantom Tollbooth, which was a book I really liked when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I thought Wrinkle in Time, the book was just sort of, it was fine. Yeah. Sounds like the movie was less than that. Yes. Not fine. Yeah. It's... It's just so poorly acted by everyone, except for Chris Pine. Chris Pine is really good in it. Um, he plays uh, the father. But, I mean, you had a good point. Like Even he seems like just out of place the movie so bad. Yeah. It's... I... You know, I'm, I'm always one to criticize people who are unable to suspend disbelief for, you know, a movie as sci-fi as this. But when that movie... Says like no 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 this is real science we could def this is definitely within the realm of possibility with our understanding of science today, and then they're inviting you to challenge it. Though. Yeah yeah, and they're you know they talk a lot about like you know quantum physics and quantum entanglement and you know like wormhole theory and all this stuff, but then there's like a really childish understanding of other concepts of that are very laws of science. Yeah. Yes, like Bernoulli's principle. All of a sudden, these characters can fly, and my big tirade to. TJ was like, this is a world in which a woman turned into a leaf dragon. Can they, Can the kids not just fly because of magic? <laughs> right. Like, right. This, you're, you're Disney, all right? Yeah. Like, can they not just fly because of magic? Like, there's like that's not how lift works. Yeah, they were, like, holding on to her while she was flying, and then were flying above her. And they were like, why can't we fly? I'm like, it's lift. And it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's no. not how that works. You can't just stand on an airplane and then fly with the airplane on top of it. Yeah. If you're standing on top of an airplane and then you jump, you don't start flying at the same speed of the airplane. Right. That's why people go skydiving. That's <laughs> exactly how they do it. But it, it's just, it's, it's, God, it's just so bad. Like the three warriors, that's their title, right? Miss Witch, Miss Who, Miss What? Yeah. It, what's it? Yeah. Yeah. That like... All three of them are just miserable. I, I think the writing was just... Because, you, know, yeah. you know they can act. Mindy Kaling can act. Oprah can act. You know, as much as she does. But, you know, Reese Witherspoon can act. Right. And it's just... It's so... In a world that is supposed to be so fantastic and magical, they are so wooden. Yeah. Like... I wonder what Ava DuVernay does next. Because she had Selma, which was great. Yeah. And then she did the documentary Thirteen, which was most people it was pretty well, well received. Well regarded, yes, yeah. Um, and then a wrinkle in time. And then a wrinkle in time. I I'm actually really curious about what she's doing next. Yeah, because she's she's seen now as a if not now then than before, but as a powerhouse director and creator. Oh no, and I. 
I sometimes get. Did you answer the question already? Yeah. She's doing. She's directing uh, New Gods, so she's joining the DCEU. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's good for uh, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to finish your sentence there. <laughs> I mean, she is one of the few black women who is directing like big budget movies now. Yeah, uh, she's. I think with a wrinkle in time, she was the first black woman to direct a movie of a budget of over uh, like two hundred million dollars. Yeah. Well, we were talking. Uh, I think Brent and I were talking. Maybe it was Alamy when a uh, Coogler got Black Panther, uh-huh. and I was like, "Man, I know he's a seasoned director and he's really good at his job, but directing Fruitville Station and then directing Black Panther isn't the same job." Right. There's just, it's just it can't be anywhere close to the same thing. Like I hope Black Panther's good. I hope yeah. I hope Coogler. I hope his talents translate well. Yeah. From having a cast of you know twenty in Fruitville Station to like a hundred in um, Black Panther. Yeah. Well, no, a hundred in uh, Rocky Creed, Creed. Yeah. To having tens of thousands yeah. in yeah. Black Panther, uh, and it did translate well. Yeah. But I don't. Maybe Ava DuVernay is better. At the lower budget kind of indie film. I mean, Selma wasn't those things, but it was small. You know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't this grandiose thing. And uh, Wrinkle in Time just missed everywhere it tried to hit. God. Yeah, it, it's it's an it's important. It's a good thing that she that that you know that barrier has been broken. But it, you almost wonder if it was like if it's. I really hope nobody in Hollywood tries to use this as a, you know, oh, yeah. a reason to not do it in the future because it can be. Sadly, they will probably. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I, I wonder, the, I don't know how to say it. Like the thing that I would think would be hard to do is, I wonder if she tried to have her hands in too many of the pieces, like too many pieces of the puzzle. Whereas, I know Ryan Coogler just, like, outsourced some of the, like... Yeah. Like, I don't need to know how you do the special effects. I'll check out the finals. I'll make sure they look good. But yeah. I'm not going to be involved in that. Yeah. That's not my thing. You know? And I wonder if Ava DuVernay was, like, trying to, like, direct like she directs everything else. And you just can't do it with a movie like that. It's also it's also probably a symptom of too many cooks in the kitchen. With that, you've got, you know, the original source material. You've got Disney as the production company. You've got Oprah Winfrey as an executive producer and one of your actors. Like, you've got all these, like, big creative heads all, like, banging together on this movie that is... I honestly had never heard of the book when trailers started coming out for this movie. But, like, it is... It's obviously an important literary work for children. Probably, like, in some cases, like, a, a really early, like, first novel that kids read. Right. And so it's people hold it dearly. So mm-hmm. there's also that where they're trying to I don't know, but they're probably trying to be uber faithful to too many details of the book as well. I just really think that it was a a a almost like a cacophony of creativity probably mm-hmm. in that production. I, can, I could definitely see that being an issue. Like that's uh, it's well said. And it's probably a little bit of everything we're saying. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, bottom line, regular time is, it's, it's bad. 
definitely not watch list worthy. I mean, outside of Star Wars and Marvel, which is crazy to say, um, like what what modern like within the past ten years live action Disney movie has been great, right? Yeah. Like there was that World of Tomorrow thing, which was an abysmal uh, failure. Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. Yeah, yeah that's, that's it was better than this. disappointing. Yeah, but not good. They told the wrong story in that movie. That's what Brent and I would said early. Well, at least they're not basing movies on rides anymore. Yeah, the problem with Tomorrowland, you didn't really get to spend hardly any time in Tomorrowland. Right. They showed it in the trailers, and it looked amazing. Like this little thing that would take you in a portal to this like place with, I don't know, everybody had jetpacks, and it looked really cool. And then the, the what you saw in the trailer is pretty much it. And it's just very disappointing. Yeah. That's just watch George Clooney walk around an old, like, broken-down theme park. Yeah, I mean, so... Live action Disney Studios films, National that, Treasure, that aren't based on um, a previous animated work, a previous uh, animated true. work, and we'll take out Pirates because yeah, Pirates is it's an a, insane it's, success, it's a cash cow. Yeah, yeah. they're um, still not great movies, right? Or they haven't been since the second one, right? BFG was okay. Yeah, the Al- I mean the Alice in Wonderland movies, Tomorrowland. Into the Woods was not good. Like, no. I don't think they... Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. That one was good. It was it's pretty okay. good. It was a fun little yeah, movie. Yeah, it was okay. Million Dollar Arm. I don't even know what that is. It's a baseball movie. Saving Mr. Banks, oh, I think, is probably the last one that was good. Saving Mr. Banks, yeah. Okay, so that was three years ago? 2013. Five years ago. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. I, I just don't know. I don't think they have that formula dialed in yet. And yeah, they're shotgun and they can afford to. Oh yeah, so I mean, th- they can <laughs> they can make a movie about how hard it is to roll down their pile of cash. Right. Like you get Star that Wars movie and Marvel. That, at that this movie point that down. the one uh, Disney animator basically gave the plot to as he accepted yet another Oscar that this, one year. This gets old. Doesn't this it? gets old. This, but, uh, my Fitbit's getting quite the workout tonight. That was pretty. Uh, we always do like a big Oscar party. Not big, but a big enough Oscar party. There's like ten of us there, and uh, all ten of us was a collective like, "Oh, dude!" When he said that, it was just—I think it was so bad. He was probably like, "Oh no!" <laughs> as soon as he said it, he had in his head something that he was going to say that was going to be like short and quippy and cute yeah. about like like Disney does it again, but it came off as like disgusting. Yeah. Just, hey, why don't you rein in your like? CEOs from molesting people and then we'll talk. <laughs> what else did you see, TJ? That was it. <laughs> that was it. Um, Chris, did you watch anything this week? Yeah, I'll keep windbagging. Um, so I watched a few things, actually, since I was last on a podcast. I've been off and on. I know that uh, this podcast goes out to so few listeners that it doesn't matter if I you know, put out personal details. Uh, but you know, I've been out because recently got engaged, and we we're looking for venues. <laughs> but so things have calmed down a little bit now. So I'm watching more, and I'm uh, you know going to be here more. So to just kind of hit the highlights, uh, I've got three TV shows I want to talk about. One of them we talked about briefly, but I just want to kind of wrap it up because I finished the season, and then a movie which I think you guys covered. But I just want to put my thoughts out there. Yeah, everybody's got one of those too. Those are fun to talk about once we've all seen them. So. Yeah. So for the TV shows, um, I started watching uh, the show Sinner. It's a it's an interesting plot. Yeah. 
It's a show. I don't know what network originally aired on, but it's a Jessica Biel show. Um, Jessica Biel show. Like, that's a thing that everyone knows. You know, one of those Jessica Biel shows. Like uh, Ron Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a a show, Jessica Biel. It's basically um, a suburban family, just like nuclear family, just plain Jane, boring life. USA. USA. That makes more sense. Yeah. I thought it was like ABC, NBC. It's cable, but yeah. Um, and she and her husband of three years and their child go out to the lake in New England and she's laying on the, on the towel and she sees these kids kind of playing around and she walks up to one of them and murders him and just says, I did it. I stabbed him. I'm guilty. Like you have to arrest me. My husband needs to move on. I need to go to jail. I absolutely admit the crime. And it's all kind of about, it's about, it evolves, because it's a USA show. Um, but it's about, like, PTSD and, like, latent memory suppression hmm. and all that stuff. But it's such a shocking pilot that I'm just like, I'm going to finish this. Yeah. Who yeah. else is in it? Who's the co-star? So somebody, somebody else. You would recognize the guy's face, but maybe yeah. not his name. Yeah. Somebody was telling me this week about the show, actually. And they were recommending it as well. I mean that the pilot's really good. It's it's almost like Truman Show esque, where it's like everything's normal, this whole world, everything's normal, and then that Bill, turn. Bill, sorry, good. Oh, Bill Pullman and Carrie Coon. That's and it. Carrie Coon, but but Bill Pullman is the lead detective. Right. Christopher Abbott plays the the husband. That's what it looks like. That's um, what his face is. He's got a that guy look. Hmm. Been in lots of television. Bill Pullman was who the person mentioned to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's great. He has a really uncomfortable crush fetish, where he uh, has a relationship with a um, on again, off again prostitute. Not that he sees her on again, off again, but she's not like a full time prostitute. Yeah. Um, where like the whole thing is, he has this sub dom relationship with her, where he's you know the sub, and she like crushes his nail beds under her high heels and like that's 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 his kink um but it's that's why when i saw it like the stabbing scene and this like really like it's a kink that you can show on tv without having it be overtly sexual or like graphic nudity right so it's it's a clever bend to it um to show yeah not for abc not for abc (laughs) Um, but it's it's good so far. I mean, you've got Jessica Biel, Bill Pullman, um, you know, Carrie Coons, and you've got that guy um, who plays the husband. His first movie was that... Uh, he plays a husband who drives a pickup truck and basically everything I've seen him in. His first film was that Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, which I've never seen, but it was supposed to be great. It was the... Uh, part of it. Sean Durkin. It's Elizabeth Olsen's first movie, too. Ah. Yeah, so I, I I recommend that. I'm about uh, it does that really cool, um, but cool in sarcasm quotes thing where they don't name their episodes. It's like chapter one, chapter two. Um, so I'm I'm on chapter three right now. But let me keep watching it. Nice. Um, the TV show I want to wrap up is a finished BoJack Horseman season five. Um, it continues to be a horribly uh, downer of a show. Um, but it's still great television. Um, I just watched the GQ. Uh, Will Arnett breaks down his most iconic roles. Um, and he talks about uh, 
Bojack, and he's like really kind of sullen when he's talking about it because Bojack is not an inspiring character. And there's even a self-referential plot device this season. Um, you know, they always do bizarre things, but where uh, one of the characters mentions the fact that you know, putting something on TV normalizes it for people who are watching it who exhibit that same behavior. Right. And, you know, that's it's not really a revelation to then watch BoJack Horseman and, like, people who watch it and want, like, oh, I want his life to turn around, they're making that commentary that, like, maybe he doesn't deserve it. Like, people who act like that don't deserve that redemption. Right. Is he the voice of BoJack? Will Arnett, yeah. Oh, I don't know why I thought it was... John H. Benjamin, for some reason. Oh, I mean, they've got that 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 good low growl. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if uh, if Ashley has finished or even started that new season yet. I know she plowed through most of BoJack or all that was available uh, within the last year, and she really liked it too. They they've done a thing like Atlanta did this past season, where like you know Atlanta before was known for having like one kind of exemplary episode of, like, television outside of the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bojack normally would have one episode per season, like, you know, the one about Alzheimer's and dementia, where they, like, erased every character's face and, like, had a whole episode like that, or an episode without dialogue because everything takes place underwater. Mm. Um, but this season had three. Um, I think it was a little overkill. Yeah, uh, it, it felt the season felt very experimental. Um, you've got the one episode that is a twenty-six minute monologue um, at a eulogy. Another episode where it is a the the frame story is a therapist and a um, mediator talking about basically like BoJack and Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter. But since they have confidential confidentiality clauses with their work. They use different names, so the whole episode is uh, Bobo the Bobo the Hyperactive Zebra, and everything, including the title sequence and the credits afterwards, are all just that. And then they've got a third one, which is uh, about uh, opioid addiction that uh, Bojack is disso- disassociative and keeps blurring the lines between reality and what he's filming at the time, which is it's a gritty uh, cop show where the Rami Malek voiced director has <laughs> staged it to look like Bojack's actual house, which kind of lends to not knowing which he's in at the time, right? right. Um, the show or his life. So it's a lot. I, I like when TV shows do try experimental things. Like those are some of my, I think the first show I think of is Buffy that did a lot of that. Yeah. And those are like the best episodes of Buffy. The one where they can't speak, or the one where they are sing. forced to sing. It's yeah, really good. Uh, it's sounds awful. Like and it's so good. Yeah. yeah, there's yeah. I mean, speaking of Rami Malek, uh, Mr. Robot did some really cool things with that. Where you know because the character whose name I can't remember right now, but Rami um, Malek's character Elliot. Elliot yeah, S- since Elliot is, you know, he's a. He's an advocate for heroin. Like, not just like a low-key user or a chain of it, but he's like, it's the only thing I can do to keep my like brain in check. They do the weird stuff where there's an entire episode that is filmed like with a fuzzy lens and with three-camera shoot on a sitcom with Christian Slater, Mr. Robot, playing like the father and his sister and everything still being fucked up. And then the... I don't know. You guys don't watch Mr. Robot, do you? Mm-hmm. 
Well, this isn't really a spoiler for you guys, because I don't think you're really going to. Um, Probably not, but... But, you know, they, they, play, they play with the idea of, uh, you know, reality affecting the character, so being able to portray that in a different lens um, in the second season. But, anyway, BoJack's good. Not my favorite season. Um, I think they, they kind of fucked around a little too much with, with the idea of conventional television. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. My third TV show, short, uh, I watched season five, uh, collection five of The Great British Bake Off. Oh, nice. That remains the most delightful. It is great. Television on like, available. I'm they got rid of uh, her, though, in the newer ones. Mary Berry? Yeah. Yeah. I like Mary Berry. I like Mary Berry, too. Prue's Prue's good. She's just not Mary Berry. The other guy's just kind of a dick sometimes. Paul Hollywood? Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's just the only only thing about that show that's like, I don't like you. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be somebody who's the bad guy. Right. (laughs) There has to be an antagonist that's not like time or like proofing. Noel Fielding is just lovely in that show. Oh my god. He's so sweet. To everybody, it's you're worried that he's going to be like very boosh, but he 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 adapts his comedy to be appropriate, or at least they edit it to. Yeah. Although the number of dick jokes goes way up this season. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I, I caught a few episodes too when Ashley was watching it. She finished it almost immediately. She's it's so fun to watch. It. It's yeah. just so good to sit yeah. there and watch. It's, it's a very enjoyable show. I it's, love when they help each other out. Yeah, this is so oh, man. fun. And this was like this. This was like a, a record uh, heat wave in the UK when they were filming it in a tent in the middle of a field. Yeah. yeah. So they had lots of problems with like you know like custard setting and with you know like doing chocolate work and sugar work. So they were they were they were always at each other's benches helping when, each other. When that guy's uh, when the hot air balloon basket melts, I just felt so bad. Yeah. He made a hot air balloon basket out of chocolate. And he just like they're like put it at the end of your station. And he sets it there and it just like keeps melting. And the judges are like, "Well, if the basket had been there, we know what you're going for." Yeah. And it's it's clever, but you're being too clever. Like, if it's hot and you want to do chocolate work to make a basket and the chocolate's going to melt, don't yeah. do chocolate. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's a good point. But good show. Good, good show. Um, I'm in love with the one woman on it. Her name's Kate. She's from, like, the Liverpool area. And every time they talk to her, they're like, along with blah, 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 Kate is also an amateur blacksmith. And it's like, Kate is also volunteering at this old folks' home. And Kate is also, like, a fire juggler. And there's just, she has, like, 80 hobbies. And it's like, they, they finally get to this one, it's Forgotten Foods, where they do, like, historical food, like, from, like, whatever era. And... <laughs> They're like, well, on Kate's off time, she spends she she visits the library to read about ancient foods. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to make a Roman bread, and it's like, what? She's like, this is what the centurions would eat. Damn, it's a great idea for a show too. I mean, as somebody who doesn't watch a lot of food TV, like the challenges are just fun in the way they present some of them, where they'll be like, we gave you a recipe, we took out. Several keywords, yeah. Figure it out. It's just it's neat. We basically like gave you a recipe that like you would like pull out of like your grandma's like recipe cards. Yeah, and honestly, it's like if Casser 
you know, like one of our girls is on the show. Like, they're not like amazing bakers. No, for the most part, they're all they're amateurs. Just, right. They're just, better than me, but they're not. I also just like the format because it's not like, you know, like sixteen bakers living in a house and they have to like go and they shop for their supplies and they like run. And they've got a budget yeah, and they run back like once a week and they like stay at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're there for two days. Like every seven, right? And then, and they have time to prepare. They know what the showstopper and the intro challenge is going to be. The only one they don't know is the technical. Like, it's great. Like, like it is actual like competition for skill. It's can you practice this and master it, and are you creative and can you execute? Right. As opposed to like, can we throw a bunch of wacky shit at you? Yeah. And see if you can adapt. That's not what. And that's the thing. Like, even the recipes out is fun because it's like, how's your knowledge of baking? Right. Like, you should know how much baking powder goes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. It's fun. I need to pick it back up. Yeah, GBBO. It was a great time. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing, uh, I know you guys talked about it. Uh, I don't know if I talked about it. I don't think I did. I saw Mandy. And yeah, we talked about it last week. What'd you think, though? I really liked it. It's such a ride. Yeah. I think Mandy is... I mean, it's it's just so wild and so... It's so good at what it does, and I, I, and it's confusing for me to think that because a lot of points I don't know what it's doing. Right, it's just so good at it. Yeah, um, right when it starts to, to I brought this up with Brent on the podcast. I want to see if you agree because I think Brent kind of did. Correct me if I'm wrong, Brent, but it right when it started to drag, right when it was about to start to drag, even I want to say it just cranked it up and it rode that for the rest of the film. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> um, see, I, I didn't think it. I, I didn't think that there was a drag in it. I could see it coming. Again, that's the more accurate way to do it. And it was, it was getting there. It was getting there, and then he blows the magical horn, and the biker demons come. It's, it's not that it dragged to me. I don't think there was any point, single point, where I thought it dragged. But I did feel once it was over, like the movie was like fifteen minutes too long, maybe. And I think the only, but I don't know where I make the cuts. So it's definitely a, the first forty-five minutes, though. It's a difficult if you're, you know complaint what I mean? because right. I don't know what I. I'm not saying like you should have cut this. And like I said, I'm giving it. It's a compliment. Yeah, the way I'm trying to give it, I guess. But like, it was just a lot of the cutaways. Maybe the first like forty-five minutes. I actually really liked I the first part, that. though. I thought that the I, first part was good. I think it's like minute thirty to forty-five, maybe. I don't know. It's it's her. It's Mandy and him. Before, like, the cult is really in play. Okay. I want to say. It's chapter one. No, chapter two. But right. there's never a chapter three. To me, the movie feels like two halves. It's just, like, first half, which is all, like, sort of moody. Like, it's it's just, like, the yeah. them living together. And it's, it's a weird Twin Peaks episode. Yes. Yes. With, like, some heavy metal elements to it. And then the second half is just, like, thrash metal. Revenge. Violence. Yeah. Revenge movie yeah it's funny where the chapter breaks are because the chapter breaks are after um it's right before the scene at the gas station so the chapter one is uh i think it's called like upon the sleepy mountain or something and then the that ends after the van drives by yeah and then chapter two starts at the gas station which is like way before and it's children of the red sun and it's way before anything happens. <laughs> yeah. With with the cult, except for you know, it's the first time they actually interact, which might be why they break there. Right. But yeah, I mean, I 
I I really appreciate the slowness of the first part, if just for Mandy's line when she's talking to I forget the dude's name, but the cult leader, and he's going on that long monologue about you know how everything is beautiful and how he discovered that he was a Christ-like figure and how things are given to him and he asks these questions and he puts on this song that he wrote back in the day that was like supposed to be a big hit before he was lied to and she just looks at him and she goes did you write this and he's like yeah is this about you he's like yeah and then she just laughs maniacally in his face for five minutes yeah that to me was worth it it was a great scene yeah, yeah it was great scene. I love that scene like even aside from all the like the the great cinematography and visual effects with like the drug trip, mm-hmm. with like the, the 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 chemist's brew, but then also <laughs> the giant like wasps thing. I don't know. Yeah. What if that was supposed, that was like a paralyzing agent? Whatever. But so since we've all three seen it, who wins the movie for y'all? I mean, Nicholas Cage. Yeah. I'm going with the cult guy. I thought he was absolutely amazing. He was great. Mm-hmm. I really like Nick Cage in this. He's great. I just, I just don't know how much of that is like... I don't... It's not like he had to go do something different, I guess. It True. was just like... The, they He found the movie that the guy wrote for him on accident. You know what I mean? But I feel that, like he just wins lots of movies. He wins most yeah. movies for me. Yeah, he's all or nothing. He, yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, Nick Cage is in this movie where he's like, like, with like a, an angry grin on his face and eyes like bulging while a gallon of blood spills onto his face. <laughs> yeah, with the hardcore porn like right over his head. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, you win, dude. You did that, you win. <laughs> I don't know. I love, I love the bathroom scene. I think the bathroom oh, scene so is good. great. So and good. I, I don't think it's great just from the perspective of like, oh, it's Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. I think it's like a great, like clearly a character who has a history of violence, who has suppressed it for so many years, like breaking down that 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 fresh mortar, and just like screaming into the mirror at himself, and then just it's just and that so cool that stagnant camera for that whole scene. Yep, it's so like unner- shot from the shower, so unnerving. Yeah, because it doesn't move, and you just want to not see that. And that wallpaper is so like disarming. The toilet's got the risen like carpet thing. Yeah, it's just or the bathroom is carpet. I will uh, aside from just saying like this movie's crazy and it's so fun, you should watch it. Uh, I do think the produ- production design was incredibly well done. Oh yeah, the settings were beautiful mm-hmm. and super creepy. I mean, from their house being amazing to you know the final showdown silo church mm-hmm. thing. And uh, the meth guy with the tiger, it yeah. was a super cool scene. They just they was shot really well. They made and they made every like every visage looked like a metal album cover, like from like whether you're talking about that like stoner metal from the like first part of the movie where it's just like you know like woods and the ominous moon and just like the fog and right. the red tones. All the way through to the very end, where it looks like 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 thrash metal, like that final scene where it's it's zooming out and it shows the crimson sun finally yeah. over like the valley that they live in and all like the jagged rocks forming these hell like spires, like it's just it's fucking cool looking. Yes, yeah. but 
I know you guys have talked about it, and I just added another like ten minutes of us talking about Mandy, but I really liked it. Worth it. I'm Dude, glad it's a movie that people aren't going to know about, so I don't mind spending a little more time on it because it deserves to be seen. I think. Yeah. Um. But yeah, go, go see Mandy. Just pay five bucks, like rent it, just watch it. Um, other than that, I've been playing some games, but I don't really want to talk about those. I want to play the new Mario Party a little more, too. Yeah. Bought Mario Party, haven't really played it enough to talk about it. Yeah. We got through like 10 turns of a 15 turn game and then stopped, so. Well, Brent, announce who goes third. I will go third. But it's Lady's turn. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I think the only thing she's seeing is the inside of her eyelids. Yep. <laughs> I watched three movies this week. I watched uh, Hereditary. Finally watched Hereditary. Let's talk about Hereditary. Let's do another spoiler talk. <laughs> yeah, this this could get spoilery. Um, We've got timestamps in be, the description. So right. Use those if you haven't seen Hereditary and you want to. Um, Which you, you should want to. I thought it was very good. Very good movie. I thought Tony Collette was outstanding. Uh, again, I think I'm just sort of rehashing what other people thought about the same movie. Like y'all. Like it. Right. Um, it... Um, this is not a criticism of it at all. It, but it's not like a groundbreaking horror movie to me. Like it's not in the way that I thought Get Out was last year, for example. Yeah, but it, it is a it is a movie that definitely feels sort of like an ode to those old, uh, like Rosemary's Baby type movies um, that I love. Obviously, that's my favorite horror movie of all time, mm-hmm. and uh, I definitely. Uh, evoked some of those feelings of watching that movie, which made it a lot of fun. Um, Were you as impressed with I was as I was with the use of miniatures and camera work? No, really? I was I was watching for it and I never noticed it. Huh? That's never, weird. Never noticed it. Yeah, I mean, I I noticed them. They would show the miniatures and they would you'd think they would represent you know. Um. And I thought it was a good metaphor for how they were being used as dolls by some outside force. They were being used basically as pawns and being moved around sort of in a chess match by... Yeah, there was one in particular, I don't remember what it was exactly, but it was just like the shot of the be- a bed in a room, and then you see like a giant hand come down and like uh. place somebody. And I was just like, I just was jarred by it. And yeah. Maybe it was something in the theater that was... It could have uh, been early. Yeah. Yeah. Um... But I, uh, I did like, I wasn't, well, I wasn't tricked, but like I said, well, I wasn't tricked by the, the miniatures. I did like the, the juxtaposition, the use of them in the movie with, with what was going on. So did either one of y'all think, um, that it was all bullshit and they were just kind of an insane family, like from the mother's line? Not at the end, but during the watch. Did you ever think there was a chance that they were just crazy? Yeah, there was, I thought a, there was at one point where I realized Ann Dowd had not talked to anybody except Tony Collette. Yeah, I thought there was a chance because she talked about her brother killing himself early in the movie at the at the uh, support group. Yeah, she talks about that, and then the name of the movie is Hereditary, so you're thinking, right? I think it's I think it's intended to push you in that direction for for a bit, mm-hmm. really until the end. I mean, that's when it until the seance, I guess. Yeah, with the daughter yeah yeah speaking of I think and this is you know we're obviously we when we've all seen the movie we go full spoilers but uh, the event in this movie the event it's uh, very shocking yeah the 
the, the unintentional beheading of the daughter. Yeah. Uh, I thought, since we didn't get to talk about it before, I thought was done extremely well for horror. I agree. That, that sense of dread that is in horror movies that I love, of like, you know exactly what happened. You don't need to see it. Yeah. And they savor that feeling and that moment to when you don't expect it to cut to her head, like, covered in, like, ants and maggots and worms. And it's just like, ugh. I mean, the worst part of all that is the scream. Oh, yeah. From his bedroom. Yeah. Well, I like that you're seeing it from his perspective, because he's afraid to look. Yeah. And so you don't get to see either, yeah. as the viewer, because he... He's you don't get to see it until he looks. Yeah. Oh, that scream, though. It, just like an unsettling feeling because you know everyone knows you you know it's an accident and that's the worst part and you know based on how Tony Clett has been acting and how like the the breakdown of their relationship even before that mm-hmm. how it started to, to 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 fall apart that she is going to blame him and he's going to blame her and like some of the most horrifying parts of the movie aren't when it gets, like, full, like, spooky Oktoberfest at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. but are when it's, like, them sitting at the dinner table screaming at each other and just being raw and over-honest and being like, you are a fuck-up. Like, I don't... I don't want you. Yeah. Like, you killed your sister and you don't feel bad about it and fuck you for that. And it's just like, holy shit. Yeah. The storytelling device of killing off what I think is basically the number two character in the movie... Yeah. Because up until at that time, point... yeah. He is pretty... Uh, she is much more relevant to the plot than he is. I mean, none of none of the scares or the dread or any of the supernatural stuff is happening to anyone else. Right. And we find out why later. It's yeah. because, you know, they pick someone to be the chosen one. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, none of that happens to any other character except for the girl and then the killer. Right. Very so, early. Very early. Yeah. So, uh, I thought it was a brilliant device in the movie to to because there's a, a moment after it happens that you're just thinking she are we done with this character now and we are but I was thinking yeah that. like I was thinking like this is it's odd was something misleading did I miss something or right. is she dead yeah Chad actually friend of the podcast chat actually picked up on it a little bit. I won't say he knew what was going to happen because I think that's kind of impossible. But he was like, they on the way real into that shit to know what's going to happen. On the way to the party, they like are following the car down the road, and then the camera stops. The car keeps going, and it kind of zooms in on just a telephone pole. Right well, also the, the pole has the uh, that that mark. symbol, yeah, uh, that the grandmother had on her necklace and her she's buried with, right? Um, and that should have been your if you. Caught that on your first watch. That should have been your first big clue that it's supernatural. Yeah. That it's not just craziness. But yeah, definitely recommend it. Really, um, really good horror elements too, though. And it's not her cutting her head off or the chase shit at the end that I think were so scary. But it was the first scene in the basement when she cuts off the lights and you can kind of see the grandmother in the dark just sitting there. It's fucking horrifying. I mean, I thought the end was great, though. I thought oh, no, it, I'm just talking about, like, out of creepy, like, non-jump-scary horror shit. The end was great. Yeah. Her, um, her, her perched, in the, her perched oh. in the corner up on the ceiling Super was, creepy. Was, like, yeah. unfocused, kind yeah. of. Yeah. But, Again, it's something I've seen in horror movies before, but it was done really, really well. Yeah. 
all all of Tony Collette's like sleepwalking dreams and then like realizations, like all those are really well done, really kind of horrifying imagery with like the ants crawling all over her son. Yeah. And it's somebody like I mean I guess the three of us kinda who kinda grew up out in the boonies a little. Uh people standing in the woods in kind of light is something that scared the shit out of me when I was little. Like just the not that I saw a bunch of them. <laughs> but <laughs> what happened to you? <laughs> I was talking to Britt recently, I was like, one of my great fears when I was little was that we had a street light that we got put in in our property out in the corner of the yard and my like the thing I would fear the most is going outside at night to get something and seeing somebody just standing under that streetlight. And that's when Brent was like, yeah, what's his name from... You should watch this movie. Night of the Preacher. Night, Night, of, the Night Hunter. of the Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yep, that's it. That was pretty much... If I watched that movie when I was 10, I would have never slept again. <laughs> but, so at the end, when the guys, when they're just like sprinkled out in the woods, just yeah. watching, it's fucking creepy as shit. Bunch of flaccid dong in this movie. Lots of flaccid dong, yes. Cool, what'd you, what'd you give it on Letterboxd? Do you remember? Uh, Letterbox is having some issues today, but um, four or four and a half. I think I went four. I think I went four. There, yeah. But I could see that movie. I don't know. Sometimes if a movie sits with you for a while, you can goes. You know that rating goes up or down. God, her sawing her own head off with the fucking wire is just like unsettling to think about. And like up too. Yeah. <sighs> it's just like a yeah. cheese wire. Like, I know. <laughs> so much work. And the banging the head thing too is really yeah, yeah. It, it always comes across screens well. Like it's a good fallback. Yeah. To just like let's make people, you know, just be icky feeling. Yeah. But man, we watched that. Cass and I called it in the theater when it first came out, and uh, there were people there doing that like laughter, like so you're not scared, like yeah. kind of making fun of stuff. And uh, her head comes off, and it's just like pin drop for the rest of the film. Like there's a black couple sitting like next to us and. We were cutting up, and I was kind of cutting up with him a little bit, like yeah. during parts of the horror movie. And then that happened, and we were all just like, "Oh, <laughs> didn't see that coming." <laughs> yeah, such a slow build with the cake, so well done. Like you think that's the problem? She's gonna like maybe she'll die that way. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Cool. I rewatched Monsters Inc. Had uh, so get ready for my controversial take on Monsters Inc. Which, Which is that it was good, good, good movie. Yeah, man, it's perfect. But we're not. We're you're not. <laughs> um, you did bring up a good point in your letterbox review, and I think I commented on it. Uh, never really thought about the world building of Monstropolis, but it is really well done. Yes, I think it's the strongest point in the movie, and I kind of, I think I would probably have. I haven't seen Monsters University, so I don't know really know what it's about. But I think I would have a lot even more fun just spending more time. In and around Monstropolis. Just like... It's the only good part of Monsters University. <laughs> Sully and uh, Mike just like going around doing their thing. This story was not... I didn't have any problems with it. I just... Uh, yeah. It was cute. Yeah, I think one thing that Monsters Inc. hits that if there's something Pixar movies miss on, more often than not, is like the... the like side joke that's not really relevant to the plot. And I always thought the Yeti joke in Monsters, Inc. is fucking really kind of brilliant. Like, oh, Sasquatches and shit, they're real. They're banished monsters. Yeah. That's really a cute idea. Nessie. Yeah. 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 Nessie got kicked out. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's a good movie. I just, I don't know. Right. I, Boo is so damn cute, too. Such a cute animated kid. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will rewatch that movie anytime you put it in front of me, but I will turn it off for the last five minutes. Too uh, sad. Too sad. <laughs> That's really sad. Now, uh, another rewatch for me was a 1971 movie. It was Steven Spielberg's debut film. Duel. It's called Duel. You ever seen Duel? I haven't. Oh, man, it's great. Yeah, I read your review on it. Um, yeah, I wrote, I wrote a review for the website, so I won't talk too much here about it, but it's uh, sort of his ode to Hitchcock's suspense. Yeah. And it was originally made as an ABC movie of the week. Um, it is an hour and a half car, long car chase, more or less, with some breaks here and there. Some breaks. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's uh, basically the story is there's a guy who's uh, having to drive out of LA into the California desert to go to some business meeting out in the country and uh, along the way he there's a little bit of a road rage incident with this oil tanker truck and the tanker truck basically just starts terrorizing him and tries to run him off the road and then it will follow him um and if he lets the truck get ahead, then the truck will just drive a mile up the road and pull off on the side of the road and wait for him. Like, hmm. it just becomes this sadistic game of cat and mouse. Uh, there are... First off, the driving scenes are really well done. The stunt work from both the whoever's driving the truck and the guy driving the car. Uh, the, the main actor, Dennis Weaver, did a lot of his own driving in the movie. But um, you can tell it's shot on location... Um, Spielberg was very adamant about that. The amazing thing about the movie is that between the time the cameras started rolling, first day of shooting, and the time it had to be on ABC, it was about 35 days. Wow. <laughs> between <laughs> day one of the shoot and it was on TV was about 35 days. And he made one of the best suspense movies ever. And it's like... They told him, they were like, you need to shoot this on the lot. And he was like, I, I absolutely have to do it in on location. Um, and they said, well, you have, you have ten days to shoot. Ten <laughs> days to shoot this movie. He went over. He did it in like twelve. But Ballsy. It's incredible. <laughs> like, there are there are little things. Uh, it's actually on the DVD. There was a great, like, 20-minute interview with Spielberg just about this movie. And uh, he was talking about, like, mistakes he made. There's one scene where you can see him in the back of the car with his camera. <laughs> nice. Because um, they didn't have time to go back and redo that shot. Yeah. And then there's another, uh, there's a f- sort of a famous scene of uh, the guy in a phone booth. The The guy is, is in this phone booth trying to make a, a call and you can see the truck from far off driving towards him. Um, that sounds cool. And uh, <laughs> as he gets into the phone booth, you just see... You you kind of have to be looking for it, but you can see in the reflection of the phone booth, Steven Spielberg holding a script, looking down and looking up, <laughs> in like a white flowered shirt too. <laughs> so it's I didn't notice it when I was watching the movie because I'm so gripped by the action in the movie. But um, there's a uh, he like didn't didn't really know how to do it any other way. So instead of like reusing locations. He mapped out the entire movie along real roads. <laughs> he made a map of every like using real roads to like this is where this will happen. Then he will, they'll drive here. 
and they they did the whole movie that way. Hmm. Um, I thought it was really well done. It's a it's a really quick watch because it's only I mean it was a made for TV movie. I think it's its original runtime was like eighty minutes. Fun. They had to go back and add some like a couple scenes later just to hit the ninety minute mark for it to be released theatrically later. Mm-hmm. But um, I I don't really think it gets a lot of love as one of Spielberg's best movies a lot of times, but I think it is. Like it's it's definitely doesn't have a lot of the elements as later stuff did, but it's for what it is, which is just a uh, suspense movie, edge of your seat type action. It's pretty perfect. Reminded me a lot of Hitchcock, like The Birds, which is just like being terrorized for you don't know why. Right. Really. That's part of the terror. Yeah. Just the unknown. And just the relentlessness of the, the truck. You can also you can also watch this movie and just be like, oh my god, this is basically... He just remade this when he did Jaws. <laughs> like, here, here's this person out in this vast expanse with nothing. And yeah. this one beast that is just monstrous and uh, relentless. Nice. So, uh... Highly recommend Duel. It's not streaming on anything right now. I think it's rent, rent or purchase only. How'd you? I had the DVD from oh, years cool. ago. Nice. My mom was always a big Mike fan Snaggett. of that. Mike Snaggett today. Yeah, mom was always a big fan of that movie, and uh, she—I remember she bought it for me when I was like a teenager. But uh, I hadn't seen it probably in fifteen years at least. Hmm. But that's about it for me. That's all I've been watching. Can't think of anything else. So. Uh, what's happening in the world of news? Not a whole lot. We have a kind of a a, a world a, a worldwide celebrity, but a local one because he was he's from here and um, his most popular work in recent times was filmed here. But yeah. Scott Wilson passed away. Played Herschel on The Walking Dead for seasons like two through five, probably. Yeah. Um. So he's gone. But he's he's been in a lot of movies. He was actually in a movie I watched recently, and he was hilarious in it. But the uh, portrait of a not not portrait of a serial killer. That's the Henry. Is it the host? Isn't he? The beginning yeah, of the host. He's in the beginning of the host. Behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. Oh yeah, that, like horror movie. Yeah. yeah, he plays like a veteran serial killer. Who's fun? But he's he's got a, a big a, a long career. He's done a lot. Best known as Herschel for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Herschel, I think everybody loved Herschel on, on Walking Dead. Yeah. Um, he didn't receive a Golden Globe nomination in 1980 for his role in a movie called The Ninth Configuration. Hmm. Um, but he's in lots of great movies. He's in uh, The Great Gatsby, the Robert Redford movie, Dead Man Walking, um, In the Heat of the Night, In Cold Blood. He's been he's been around. Nice. Yeah. Well, I have some quick headlines. Um, rumors that... Uh, I always love it when, like, star plus director plus concept, and it's just the... It feels like Mad Libs. <laughs> um, Patty Jenkins. Okay. Directing Margot Robbie. Okay. In the Barbie movie. <laughs> the movie everyone's been clamoring for. The Barbie movie. It's gonna be great. It Watch. could be great. <laughs> <laughs> the environment is ripe for a movie about Barbie. Um... Uh, I've seen some backlash. There's a new Aquaman trailer out that people just says it looks like uh, a CGI vomit all over a movie screen. 
Yep, I told TJ that. Well, I just watched the trailer before we recorded. That uh, looks like it's going to have some CGI trident fights, and who gives a shit? Yeah, it's unfortunate because I think he's actually a great choice for Aquaman if you had somebody who knew what to do with any of the DC stories. Yeah, yeah. God, and the, the new trailer is like. It looked like they were trying to ground it in like reality. They they find this temple in the Sahara Desert, which they think is the original site of Atlantis. They say that the Sahara used to be an ocean. That's why there's all that sand. Woo. But uh, science. But so they go to this temple and it's this like cool like it's on land and it's this like cool kind of dilapidated uh, old like oceanscape. And then she immediately uh, puts this weird key down. And then absorbs water from his face to put to turn the key. And she's like, oh, you guys are just going like full fucking mental on this movie. Just 100%. We jumped the shark a long time ago. Let's just keep it going. Yeah. Our lead is literally like a shark person, and we jumped it. We jumped (laughs) him too. Also, there's a new Star Wars TV series announced called The Mandalorian. Yeah, John Favreau. I saw the first, yeah, the image of it. It looks like a Boba Fett. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care that I sound like an old man when I was like, that looks like a Boba Fett. <laughs> go see a Star War. <laughs> Here's $2. Go see a Star War. I'm, I'm looking forward head. to fans hating everything that gets made for them. Um, yeah, me too. So the, the, basically the plot, John Favreau has released the plot of... Why did this go to Instagram? Don't... Okay. After the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior emerges in the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian is set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order. We follow the travails of a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. So it might actually not be Boba Fett. Or maybe well, yeah, was, maybe it is and he's just They showed the image that. of the Mandalorian armor. Right. The character in the, the traditional Mandalorian armor. I would be happier if it's not Boba Fett, probably. Oh, yeah. Introduce new characters. Yeah. But then it's going to be too different. That's true. Well, we can always just let yeah, the we don't fans want to re- be the, we don't remake want to be, it. We don't want it to be different, but don't make it the same either. Right. We will complain if it's the same or if it's different. Right. So good luck with that. But also, you have to give a Star Wars. Just stuff. re-release. Why don't they just re-release the, Star Wars, the original Star Wars movies? Honestly, the thing that, that would make them a lot of money is if they re-release the original edits of Star Wars. Or if they just made cartoon versions of it. Just, like, animated movies of those. Do reverse the reverse what Disney's <laughs> yeah. doing for their other properties. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the people that can complain, songs. I know what they should do. They should stop going and seeing movies and just lock themselves in their house and watch Star Wars forever. Yeah. Or if they'll be happy. Or they'll be happy. If they've got all these ideas, they should just write them and send them to Disney and say, "Hey, I wrote the next Star Wars movie." Also, my sneaking suspicion they don't really get Star Wars, even the originals, all that well. I don't think they understand them. It's weird because they're not that complicated. It's about incest, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Star Wars fans, we kid. Although I feel like any Star Wars fan who hears criticism of Star Wars fans goes, "Well, that's not me." Right, right. That's hair talking about the other people. <laughs> those are all those bad. Those are those toxic fans. But we'll correct you now. We're talking about you. <laughs> There's a way to like something without being personally invested in its success. Yeah, if you've left an angry comment on a review of Star Wars or the Star Wars Facebook page, <laughs> we're talking about you. We're, t- we're talking <laughs> to you. Definitely you. There's some films that are coming out. What What's are they? Out, TJ. 
No, I was just chopping you. I'm sorry. Oh my god, a fight just broke out. <laughs> um, movie called The Oath is coming out, which I've not heard about until just now, starring Ike Barinholtz and Tiffany Haddish. And I'll read the premise from the wiki. Americans are required to sign the Patriot's Oath to the government by the day after Thanksgiving. Chris and Kai host a Thanksgiving dinner in which political discussion among the family about the Patriot's Oath explodes into violence. It's a dark, like, a dark comedy. This, I feel like this is... Kind of interesting. This is either going to be good or it's going to be one of those movies that too desperately tries to make commentary on the political landscape of the day. Right. Uh, what else you get? You got Goosebumps 2, Haunted Halloween. I watched right. the first one. It wasn't that great. Uh, then you got two good ones. You got Bad Times at the El Royale. That's Drew Goddard's sophomore effort. He's yeah. the director and writer of Cabin in the Woods. Um, it is getting promoted a lot. Like I see, I see trailers for that on like Hulu and everything. And it's got a fun cast: Jeff Bridges, Cynthia Erivo, Dakota Johnson, John Hamm, Kaylee Spaney, Nick Offerman, and uh, Chris Hemsworth, who is the only repeat from Cabin in the Woods. Hmm. Um, but I'm excited about that. It looks fun. Uh, kind of like uh, Identity, sort of. Y'all remember that John Cusack movie? It looks like it's kind of similar, but with more fantastical stuff. And then uh, a movie that probably has, I don't know, 25% chance of winning Best Picture this year. Uh, First Man is coming out. Yeah. That's the, uh, uh, oh my God, I can't remember my favorite director's name. Um, Ava DuVernay. Yeah, Ava DuVernay. Justin Hurwitz. He did the, he wrote the music. Yeah, so just click on that link. La La Land. Damien Chazelle. Uh, yeah, directs Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong. Claire Foy's in the film as well. If Damien Chazelle... Does she play wrote, the moon? Yeah. If Damien Chazelle directed it, it would really change the meaning to some of those songs that talk about stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, City of Stars was actually the moon. <laughs> so, my pick is going to be... Oh, man, I kind of want to see a couple of these movies. I mean, I want to see the El Royale movie, but my pick is First Man, just because I feel like it's going to matter at some point in the future. I'm definitely going to recommend First Man, but there there are a few that are intriguing. Yeah, First Man for me, too. Uh, I saw that on The Oath. Ike Barinholtz wrote and directed it, too. Oh, cool. Keep so. your eye on The Oath. Yeah, it just sounds interesting. I might be able to wait for Netflix kind of thing. But. It might be a game night yeah, slash, sneak. you know... Girls' night slash girls' trip. It's definitely the kind of movie where I want to see the Rotten Tomatoes score on. Some movies I don't care as much about, but that's the kind of movie where it's like, I feel like with comedies, it, I, it can often tell me if I'm going yeah. to be wasting my time. If it's 65% on Rotten Tomatoes, then it is going to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, go see First Man, but, you know, also go see two movies and maybe watch Tomb Raider. Yeah. And The Predator. Go get some Toonies. Two movies. That's it. That's all we got. You've sapped us dry. Uh, <laughs> Gross. We finished each other off. <laughs> well, I realized we hadn't done anything to make this podcast R-rated and necessary for the warning, so we'll just throw that in at the end to ruin it all. Um this has been Talk Talk Podcast for the Media Bias. Check out our site and see our stuff at themediabias.com. You can email us at mediabias at gmail.com. You can tweet tweet with us at themediabias. 
Engage with us on Facebook at Games By Us, Movies By Us, or TV By Us. Those are all groups. Give us a rating and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatching app of your choice. And we want to thank the Willow Walkers for your intro music. Thank you. Willow Walkers. And we want to thank Boo Reefa for the catchy little tune we play here at the end. Boo Reefa. And that'll be it. And thanks, TJ. And thanks, Chris. Thanks, Brian. Bye-bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know.